welcome to the Brain Tools podcast where you're going to learn how your brain works and how you can use it to level up your life. It's practical brain science for everyday people. I'm your co-host Sam, a self-professed neuroscience nerd on a mission to share brain science with the world in words everyone can understand. And I'm Kieran and I specialize in neuroscience at university and now run a metacognition education startup in Asia. Each episode, you walk away with six practical brain tools that you can use immediately. No fluff, just the good stuff with a side of banter. Plus, grab our show notes, the research and tons of other free resources including guides and classes just by joining our growing Brain Tools community at braintools.mn.co. Best of all, it's totally free. But for now, the Brain Tools podcast. And welcome to episode 29 of the Brain Tools podcast. Before we jump into what is going to be a super practical episode, Sam and I want to say thank you. Um, We've just passed 20,000 downloads, which is a massive milestone for us and the Brain Tools community. So we're so grateful for everyone's support, our listeners, you, and how the Brain Tools community has grown this year. Sam, it's um, it's a pretty big deal. We're pretty excited. It is a pretty big deal, and we're very, very excited as it keeps growing and growing um, each day. And today, we're revisiting one of our favorite topics we've done today, a topic we've had lots of questions about, which was the episode 10 on memory. And we've actually brought in a memory champion to help us apply higher order memory techniques in our life, help you forget less and remember much more for longer. Who have we got with us today, Kieran? I'm very excited about this. We have none other than Tanzil Ali with us. And and I'll be frank, his resume speaks for itself. Tanzil is a four-time Australian memory sports champion, and he's most famously known for memorizing two yellow page phone books in only 24 days, which again, blows my mind. He represented Australia at the World Memory Championships in Malaysia and London and national competitions in Singapore and Japan, breaking several memory records for Australia along the way. Just got to add to it, he's also written three international best-selling books, The Yellow Elephant, How to Learn Almost Anything in 48 Hours, and The Four Most Powerful Memory Techniques. He's done this and much, much more. Obviously, there's a lot to unpack um, with your journey, Tanzil. You've, you've done so much. My question is, how did you start your journey to become a memory champion? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I used to actually be a skeptic of memory improvement. I used to watch a lot of late-night television. And back in the days, late-night television in Australia used to be David Letterman. I mean, like He was the only one, really, apart from the Aussie <laughs> ones. But there used to be these you know, so-called memory experts get on and remember, you know, the audience's names and remember, you know, 20 list of numbers and digits and, you know, words. And I'm thinking, you know, these guys just want to sell their cassette tapes back then. And I was a big skeptic. I thought they were just, they're just brilliant marketers. They could speak really well. I thought, no, nah, this is all fake. And then one day a friend of mine came up to me and said, look, Tansel, I can remember 40 random objects back to front, you know, any order. And I thought, well, no, you can't walk like those guys on TV. He goes, yeah, yeah, that's what I can do. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) sure. So I had to test him out. So gave him a whole bunch of words and no jokes, he he memorized everything perfectly. He recalled them. And I thought, well, I didn't see you write down anything. How did you do this? Uh, And he said, oh, I just learned some memory techniques. It's from a book. I'm like, well, tell me, what what book is it? You know, I want to learn this stuff. Yeah. And he couldn't remember the idiot. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I went and you know, <laughs> did some research and um, there was a really powerful tool back in, um, I started in 2001, uh, it was a really powerful tool. It still exists today. It's called um, Google, right? So I used that. I typed in, yeah, t- take <laughs> note, you know, the listeners. Uh, I typed in memory techniques and surely enough, there's a few websites that came up. I thought, wow, this is this is amazing stuff. And and again, I tried the techniques and they worked. And I thought, hang on, I've got a really bad memory. How does this happen that I can simply apply techniques and get the result? This this isn't right. So I started, you know, googling memory more and more, and I came across the Australian Memory Championships. And I said to my friend, look, let's enter. We'll come last. You know, who cares? We'll do, you know, bogans, you know, playing guitar and metal bands. You know, we're, we're going to come last <laughs> for sure. So. We enter this competition um, knowing that we're not going to do too well. And I came second in Australia. My friend came third and we broke all these memory records. Uh, and then, we, you know, TV started contacting us and, you know, radio and, you know, we, we became these, you know, Z-grade celebrities, if you want to call it. So it was quite funny. And I'm thinking, I'm going to crap memory. What the hell is going on? So I had this imposter syndrome thing. So, you know, it made me realize that anyone can use these techniques. So we started training again. 
um, went to the Australian competition, come second and third again. I thought this this is just unbelievable. Um, and then we read about the World Memory Championships, and it was in Malaysia for the first time. I thought, well, I want, we want to travel. You know, this was back in two thousand and three. So went to Malaysia just to really just to shop around. You <laughs> know, didn't really care about the competition. We just sort of went, did the event, and you know, went and ate and went shopping. But did the competition and again out of seventy of the best people in the world, I ended up coming fifth. You know, in some of the events, and I thought, wow, this I've just beaten. You know, people's books that I've read and my heroes and stuff, you know, in the events. And this can't be right. I know it's not my training because I, I was, you know, lazy as hell. <laughs> too. So, and that sort of spurred on the moment of, well, anyone can do this, you know, and um, sort of led me to think, okay, you know, it's not just me. I'd love to pass this and share it with the rest of the world. So it led me to, you know, develop some programs for people and, you know, start working with students and then ended up in corporate with, you know, people learning how to public speak and learn faster and things like that. So that's where it all started with me being a skeptic, learning a few techniques, seeing the results and thinking, wow, this stuff actually works. And now, you know, I've been you know, 20 years trying to share this knowledge. So that's where it all essentially began. Amazing from skeptic to superstar to shopping in Malaysia. You heard it here first. <laughs> it's all about the shopping. Yeah, you know. It's all about the shopping. I love that. And I think because when we were looking into this, like the whole idea of a memory championship sounds pretty intense, to be honest with you. Especially I think when we I saw that, you know, memorize a whole deck of cards in three minutes. And I was like, what is what is required of you in a memory championship? Like, what are you actually doing yeah, throughout it was actually, the process? Um ten events they have um throughout three days. Uh, so the events, uh, for example, remember as many words as you can in 15 minutes. Now, the words will be in uh, columns of 20, right? Uh, and there's hundreds of them. So there's people out there, you know, memorizing hundreds of words in about five minutes, <laughs> 10, 15 minutes. So, you know, that's what we're doing. And the thing is, if you make one mistake out of that 20, you don't get 19 out of 20. You get 10 out of 20. You make two mistakes, you get zero. So we're not just judged on memorization, we're judged on effectiveness uh, and quality of our memorization. Same thing with numbers. We, I mean, we get, um, you know, there's also events like you have to memorize random digits and numbers, right? And they're in the thousands and they're all in rows of 40 digits, right? So same rule applies. One digit mistake isn't 39 out of 40, it's 20 out of 40, two digits is zero, Right, and the way that we memorize, we pair up the digits together. So if we make one mistake, we pretty much get zero. So it's very, very challenging. And there's also events like remembering names and faces. So it's on a piece of paper, names and faces. Another very difficult uh, but highly practical event. Uh, you've got binary digits, zeros and ones. Uh, we actually had poetry as well, but non-rhyming poetry. So it was just a mixture of events, and uh, you know whoever got the highest score actually wins. So that that's how they. Yeah, did that um, yeah scoring system I guess so yeah they're, they're the conditions <clears throat> that's that's crazy talk about being punished for tiny mistakes god that must be a high pressure high pressure high stakes yeah, I look, I've always looked um, at myself as a sucker for punishment <laughs> you're masochistic <laughs> I, I knew it I just, I just knew it you know as soon as that's I met you word. so you know punishment that's, was like okay good I, I'm used to failing I, I've, I've got this <laughs> you know um, you're self-flagellating from a memory perspective. Uh, if you don't know what that is, go look up the Da Vinci Code and thank me later. Um, I did have some questions because you mentioned some of the students you work with and the work you do now in sharing all those amazing things you learned. What are some of the main problems you see with your students run into initially with with their memory, attention, storage, and recall? Yeah, it's a really good question because a lot of the time when people come to me for you know memory problems, learning problems, it's actually not that problem it's something like i've got bad self-discipline or you know loss of concentration or it's just a bad environment or you know you don't know what's going on in their life so a lot of you know education centers and and you'll know this you know really well coming from where you're from is that there's more to that actual student and that person and you know so you're not just giving information and knowledge you're trying to understand the individuals a lot better so that you can cater for them so if they're stressing out, well, you can't just give them the best knowledge and you have the best teachings because even if you're stressed out, like in competition, if I'm stressed out, I'm going to forget everything, right? So we learn to control stress. So really as a, a coach, I guess, an educator, I have to try and find out, look, how do I connect 
with these individuals. And once I connect, then I can really find out what the core of the problem is. Look, sometimes it is just knowing a few techniques here and there, but sometimes it's a lot deeper. So that's what I try and do uh, with, you know, whoever I work with is find out, look, what are some of the issues going on? We have to be really frank, really honest with yourself. Once you have those um, and we start to understand uh, and unpack that, then we say, okay, here are the best techniques that are going to work for you. Um, Here is what's going to assist you in you know what you're trying to do whether it's you know discipline time management or just basic techniques to remember and learn better so that that's essentially how um, i use that it's so interesting to me that you mentioned that it comes down to a lot of discipline but also that stress factor so from a neuroscience perspective we know when people are stressed the 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 memory searching function in your brain that hippocampus actually shrinks physically shrinks in response to the cortisol release um, so your ability to access those memories from both a short-term and long-term perspective diminishes, and there's plenty of studies that validate that. It's really interesting that that's you know a memory champion going out and saying, when I do work with people, we're actually focusing just as much on stress as we are on, on memory and recall. Um, I thought that was a really great link. Yeah, there. And it happens to me as well. Like I actually suffer from Crohn's disease, so I'm not sure if you know what that is, but it's an inflammatory bowel condition. And sometimes when I'm yep. driving, like I, I know where to drive if I know where I'm going right? Um, so I don't need any maps or anything like that. But if I'm with my wife and suddenly the, I, I get a little flare up of my condition, um, the brain switches modes and I can't remember even how to get home. I have to tell my wife, look, you know, where do I turn next? You know, just simple little things. A lot of people will be thinking, but you're the memory champion. Well, it's the brain, you know, taking and going into different directions. And uh, it, it's amazing what stress can do to the body. So, you know, I've taught myself over the years on how to manage stress because of these things and it, and it does really help with you know managing a lot of situations so yeah absolutely you know spot on there it's, it's really interesting again because i think as we speak about like that stress the whole idea in, of, and self-discipline is like consistency with any learning anything particularly when it comes to memory techniques i have to tickle myself here what are some of the like stress techniques that you implement or you would recommend or like takeaways for people that just in their everyday yeah, lives look, outside I'm really of glad you asked me that question because this is something I discovered later in life when I delved really deep into memory. And when we look at a stressful situation, uh, you think, okay, what is stressful? Well, you're already creating this massive narrative in your head, a story in your head. You've got a stressful scenario and what makes things memorable is creating a story, creating a massive visual, using emotion, all of that stuff. Now, the stressful story is all of that. So if we're trying to make things memorable by creating all this emotion and color, well, the opposite is also true. If we deactivate that, if we visualize in the color gray, right, if we take emotion out, if we extract ourselves and look at the situation from a third-party perspective, also, if we make that situation very small, like a little circle, and all you're doing is looking at that little gray circle of the event, what you're doing is you're essentially make it non, well, less memorable, if that makes sense. So from a stress perspective, let's say you're stressing out about it, something, you can use that principle of um, creating something in gray, making it small, detaching yourself. And what happens is that the brain suddenly sees that as, well, it's not much anymore. I might as well focus on something that is quite big, bold, and beautiful. And you can create a positive experience in that way as well. So you're not only minimizing the stress, but you're creating greater positive uh, imagery and narrative in your brain. It's, it's also a really good point when it comes to the idea of um, the stories we tell ourselves. And like this links really nicely with something that Sam and I have looked into, which is, you know, your amygdala, it's like an alarm sounding off, right? If it's just constantly blaring, 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 it's going to be really difficult. So your whole idea of directing focus onto something really, really small so that you can then pivot makes makes a lot of sense and links with the, the neuroscience as well. Um, so really liked that. And I think when we were going through your book, The Yellow Elephant, and I'm um, that this is the one thing that curiosity has got me, which is you talked about how you memorized the two yellow page phone books in 24 days. And like, we were sitting there being like, how on earth does someone even do that? Yeah. Like our minds were literally blown. I can't blown. remember my mum's phone number. Like, so. <laughs> literally. Um, what, what like was the process or specific process that you went through to achieve that? And like any clear sort of takeaways that, yeah, that came from that? Massive learnings from that because it wasn't just a test of, oh, wow, I've just got an amazing memory. It was more of a test of, well, Tansel, you're so 
you know, you've got really poor time management or you're really badly disciplined. And so I learned a lot about myself and um, really what I had to do, because it was for a PR company, they wanted me to do the campaign. Otherwise, you know, if someone said, you know, memorize a phone book, I would have laughed at them and said, yeah, right, you know, what do you think I am? Uh, and that's how initially uh, what I thought of it. I thought, well, why are they getting me to memorize a phone book? I mean, gee, this is so boring. And whatever. anyway, um, I looked at it and I, and I was about to email the PR company. I said, look, thanks, but no thanks type of thing. But then I did just ran some basic numbers. I thought, well, if there's you know 20,000 digits of numbers, that divide that by 2,000 odd, you know, business names that I had to memorize. And, you know, that calculates to X amount of time memorizing one ad, right? And I thought, well, I can usually memorize an ad, a telephone number and a business name within seconds, right? But if I was to expand that out to the maximum, say two, three minutes, then I could still memorize a phone book in a whole month, which they gave me. So I thought, okay, I've done the calculations. I might as well give it a go. Um, so, And that took six days to do all the calculations and preparations. So by then I had 24 days to memorize the phone book, um, which was kind of scary because I had the media waiting for me. I had, every, so I had a high accountability, so I couldn't really mess it up. So when I started, I used a, a basic – uh, memory technique of just linking uh, things together. So I didn't use what people call a memory palace or method of loci. People freak out when I say I haven't used that. I go, wow, but you did thousands of digits and numbers. Well, it was more about the practicality. So I, I, all I did was make a story. So if I said Bob's plumbing, I had to memorize. Well, Bob's plumbing, I had to visualize a guy bobbing up and down, you know, um, having a plumber's crack. I, I don't know, something like that. I had to visualize it uh, and then connect the number to be memorized onto that uh, image. So, And I was using what's called a major system to memorize the numbers. So the numbers are broken up into pairs. So 17 could be a dog, um, you know, 71 could be a cat. So if 1771 came up, I'd picture, you know, a dog chasing after a cat, right? So that's how that – and we have pre-memorized images from 0, 0 and 99. Right. Or some people have a thousand. I have a thousand as well, but I just used a hundred in this case. So that's all I did. Bob's plumbing, you know, dog, cat, car, whatever it was, I made a story. And I did this uh, probably 120 times for 120 ads in about an hour. Um, and I was memorizing at times for 10 hours a day because I, you know, I wouldn't memorize the, the day before. So that's what it was. It was just getting the consistency and time in. And after 18 days, I memorized the two yellow pages phone books. Um, and then I had six days to go back and revise. So in total, I went over everything about eight times. Um, and that, that's just creating stories. It's not repetition. So as you know, memory techniques involve storytelling. And that's all I did, told stories. And I remembered it all from there. Yeah, well, amazing. And you've also got that, uh, the rehearsal cognitive rehearsal is the, the like brain science term for it where you're actually playing that over in your mind and therefore strengthening that connection that synaptic connection and, and quasi myelinating that pathway to get really way too sciencey but what i take away from that then is for the you know for the average person uh tuning in is that turning whatever you're trying to memorize into a story with imagery is a great way to actually enhance that long-term memory. Absolutely. And, you know, whenever someone says, look, well, what is, what's the best strategy you can think of for learning, you know, uh, for memorization? I say, well, when you think about it, when you're learning, your, your aim isn't to necessarily memorize. Memorization is there because we've got exams and we want to test it out recall. You, you want to understand what you're reading. You want to understand what the person is saying, teacher is saying, lecturer is saying. You, you want to get to that ability where you just know, not remember, because you can remember and still not understand. So the trick to everything really in a learning perspective is to visualize and use your imagination. So let's say you're reading content like, you know, um, really boring, dry, like terms and conditions, a classic example, gets so boring and dry, but you can make it memorable uh, by saying, you know, reading things like this contract must be signed by April. Very boring, you know, statement, right? Nothing really visual in the head. But what you can do is think, okay, contract, how do I visualize a contract, right? It could be an old maybe piece of paper, it's parchment, it's written in fountain pen, you know, and April could be Easter. So you imagine signing this old piece of paper with a fountain, tent, fountain pen dressed in a bunny suit or something like that. Now, 
you've made something memorable, but what you can do is you can apply this to anything that's abstract. And what's that going to do is help you not just remember, but understand the underlying um, you know, knowledge that you're mm-hmm. going to look at. So I always say to people, look, it's not so much about memorization, but using the skills to really hone in and understand what you're really trying to do. Yeah, I really, really like that. And purely because it's a bit of confirmation bias with what I know about the brain. If you split your head in half, basically 50% of that half of your brain or overall, the processing is dedicated to the visual system and visual processing. So as soon as you turn something into an image, you're really maximizing the way your brain works. When we did our memory episode, our listeners told us that names were really, really difficult for them, especially in high-pressure social situations, you know, sales calls, meetings, networking, et cetera. What would you recommend to, to these people who struggle to remember names? Are there any specific techniques they could yeah, use? Yeah, definitely. There, there's you know, quite a few techniques. And um, it, it is a really good question because in the memory competitions, believe it or not, a lot of the best memorizers don't do well with remembering names. And that's because it's a highly creative process, right? When they're memorizing random shuffle playing cards and numbers, they've already got something pre-memorized, right? Like the numbers are pre-memorized, so all they really have to do is make a story now. So they get really good at that. However, when a name comes up, they have to be creative to create an image out of it. So, for example, if I say John, right, um, we have to create some sort of association for John to be able to remember the name. So I say John and I think of toilet, right? Because <laughs> <coughs> in the Western world, we think, you know, John, we, we can sometimes say toilet. So now I've got an image there, right? So in order to connect that association, because you have to have association for connection, uh, we have to connect toilet to that person now. So we can visualize that person that we've called John sitting in the toilet, maybe reading a paper or on their phone these days. It's not paper anymore. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, that that's a kind of association. You know, you, you picture a Sandra, maybe a person sand with their hair, right? Um, it's so, you know, you've got Vijay Ranganamachandran, you know, really long name. You can break it down. You know, Vijay was DJing, you know. Uh, orangan, orangutan, you know, rama, like drama, and chandan, maybe chandering, like Aussie-style vomiting. All you have to do now is create a story. So VJ was DJing, you know, at the nightclub, right? And suddenly orangutan jumps on him, going crazy. There's drama going on all over the club, and everyone's chandering because of the whatever's going on. So, you know, there's a story. So if you remember the story, you'll essentially pick apart and, you know, recall bits of the name. Yeah, so attaching uh, an image to that name and something that's, uh, you know, going to make you feel something like a toilet would or a DJ yeah, it, it's club a and people chandering. That's right. So my yeah. name, for example, Tansel. People say Tinsel, Tonsel, or they yell out, hey, you, Tinsel. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it, it's, it's wordplay. That's what we're looking at. Um, so you can also, yeah. you know, use, um, you know, what things sound like as well. So I've given that, um, you know, if famous places – like, for example, if you meet an Elizabeth, you can picture Queen Elizabeth, right? Or you can picture that Elizabeth at Buckingham Palace because you've got that Queen Elizabeth association. Mm-hmm. So locations are a fantastic uh, sort of thing because they work really well when remembering names as well. So there's a lot of um, yeah, associations to play around with. But the more you do this, the better you get at remembering names as well. I guess the difference between me and everyone else is that because I've been doing it for 20 years, I can do it almost instantly. Whereas someone starting new, they'll have to create the stories and make sure it's memorable and that their associations are connecting. So it's, it's going to take a little bit of time, uh, but the more effort you put in, the time reduces and the quality increases of the stories that you make. Yeah. That's such a good point. And the fact that you also mentioned location. So I'm not sure if you know about this, um, Tarzel, but there are actually place cells or location cells in our hippocampi in the brain that are dedicated just to play, remembering where things are in place. So if you're using those, you're already, already leveraging what's already existing in your brain. But I think um, Kieran also had a bit of a question. Yeah, because I think when we look at like the idea of um – as you said, remembering faces and locations. We're doing at the moment a series called Brains at Work. And so we're trying to like look at applied neuroscience in the workplace and sort of sharing tools for people to do so. And one thing that is people dread, and I'm sure you've seen this in your experience, presentations. 
speeches. <laughs> All that, and we talked about stress earlier, a very stressful response because a lot of people haven't been trained in public speaking per se. And from your work at TEDx, it's clear you've probably got more of a handle of this than most people. What's, what's your process to memorize sort of presentations or speeches and what techniques you use, leveraging obviously that semantic learning of, you know, connecting what you don't yeah, know a, with what you do That's a good know. one because, um, I mean, we've all been through death by PowerPoint, right? When we see a whole bunch of words <laughs> uh, on a slide, you know, being read on a monotonous tone. Um, and, and we look at that from a brain perspective, right? Why is that so painful going through death by PowerPoint? You know, it's because it's purely abstract. The data is abstract, right? It's got no meaning on there, really. So whenever we look at a whole bunch of words, there is no meaning behind it until we give it meaning, a, a visual, right? That's that's why storytelling is so important. Um, and, it, and it's the same process of, you know, what I call speed reading, right? Speed reading is essentially visualizing and encoding the group of words together. So for presentations, um, the, the trick really there is, again, understanding what you're trying to present on and not memorize everything, right? So when I was working with um, a lot of my TEDx speakers, uh, I was showing them how to memorize their talk, but not memorize as in word for word, but memorize the key points because they already know what's in those key points. And if you memorize everything word for word, what it does is makes things really rigid because if you forget, you're going to forget, right? Uh, and you're going to be totally stressed out. But if you're not really going to forget a key point because if you've memorized it and really you're only going to need to memorize about five or six key points, which is pretty easy using a technique, right? Um, what's going to happen if you have that key point, then you can make that delivery in various different ways. Um, and what that means is that you can look at your audience um, and if they're engaging, you can deliver that communication in an engaging way. If they're not engaging, maybe you can try something else. So it gives you a lot of options so when I train speakers, it's about, okay, not so much about memorizing content, but you know what you're going to speak about. Um, memorize the very basic points and you can link them together. You can use a very basic process as well, but understand that the message you're going to deliver is more important than, you know, you picturing yourself forgetting or all that sort of stuff. So I always make it about the message uh, and the impact you want to have from that message. So even just basic communications, right? It's, you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for the other person. If they don't understand, you have to sort of revisit and analyze all that sort of stuff. So memory techniques help me actually to make sure that the message coming across is effective because that's what we're judged on in competitions, right? So if it's not effective, then I'm going to have to re-explain or do something else. So in terms of speakers, it's like, okay, what's going to be effective uh, as an impactful message? rather than memorized information being communicated. So that's that's probably the most important thing from a memory perspective because memorizing is not just about remembering, you know, information, it's also about the experience you, you know, give to people, you know, because people remember experiences. So and if you give them experience, they're going to remember that for the rest of their life. If you just give them information, that's going to go in one ear out the other because that's not what people want. That's why in a lot of TEDx talks, um, it's the person that's really focused on um, and their story, not the, you know, 10 bits of knowledge that anyone else can deliver. So yeah, the experience and being able to get that visual. So it's encoded in the other person's brain, you know, really well. Um, it's such an interesting point that you raise just in terms of like the idea of narrative bias, um, particularly when, you know, people are more likely to remember stories than they are sort of facts and figures. And that whole idea of a memorable experience, they're going to take away the person themselves. The one thing that I sort of picked up on, you said you had sort of an idea of how you link paragraphs together. How do you actually go about doing that? Because again, normally, you know, when we see speakers, they struggle with the transitions between those ideas and between those paragraphs, how do you actually connect the yeah, dots there? I don't there? necessarily link the paragraphs. It's more sort of the key themes and ideas and, um, you know, topics because one topic might have three paragraphs, right? So it's just about, you know, memorizing that key topic. And then if you know your content, you're going to know what's in there. So you deliver it in your own way rather than uh, what's scripted. Yes, you might not get everything in that script. And if you really want to get everything, there are techniques for that. But it, it's it's not really, you know, about memorization. It's about, you know, what impact you want to have with that message. And I think, it, look, if you just know the key points that you're going to talk about and not necessarily, you know, memorize, 
um, then you can get across your message in a way that I was explaining before to Sam that's impactful. And that's what you want. You want to be able to read the room. You want to be able to engage with people. You don't want to just blurt out information for the sake of it. And unfortunately, that's what happens with presentations because people are so stressed out about delivering, about the stories they tell themselves and even the memorization side, all of that, that the actual speaking doesn't happen. <laughs> Therefore, that, that, you know, that the actual thing that needs to happen effectively doesn't go ahead and is not, you know, eventuated. So, um, yeah, so it's about doing the pre-work right, uh, making sure, you know, what's your real intention behind the talk, what's the impact you want to have, um, and then focusing on that. And what I do is I park myself on the bench. I, I sit down and make sure my message is up on stage delivering, you know, and that's how I see myself as, and look, if I pass on any good, great. Uh, if it's not, then, you know, at least I've tried, you know, to pass it on. It's never going to be perfect. I, I never, I mean, like I said, I'm a sucker for punishment. So I'm used to failure more often than not, but that's what I learned from. And, and I take that on board and then, you know, improve it for the next one. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really about not, not about the information. It's about the communication is is what I'm hearing and like communicating that message as opposed to memorizing every single fact that you want to jam into that yeah, talk. You're presenting. That's right. Yeah. So speaking of speaking, we saw that you worked with PwC to create a framework to learn Mandarin and we were very curious, how many languages have you learned and what's the best strategy in your opinion to learn a new language now, especially considering we can't really travel internationally and, and go live in, in China, for yeah, example? Yeah, no, good, good question. Um, I, I look at it in a way that, you know, using sort of first principles, like how do we learn a language, you know, when we're young? Right? Our parents speak to us in that language, in, in phrases, right? We don't, you know, have a courseware book saying, you know, here are the nouns, here are the verbs, here's the grammar, all that sort of stuff, which is what you get when you're learning a language now. You, oh, you totally. learn that for a few years and you travel overseas. What do you take out? You don't take out your courseware. You take out a phrase book, <laughs> right? So, you know, so what I decided to do was, hang on, when we're not kids anymore, we don't have to repeat things a million times in our head. We've got memory techniques. So what you can do is memorize phrases, not words, because words are out of context and there's thousands and thousands of them. Yes, there's thousands of phrases, but they're in context. So we worked out that, you know, if you memorize 1,500 phrases of any language, you will, you'll be able to speak 80% of that language, right? Uh, and it doesn't take very long to memorize a phrase. All we're doing is making a story. So, for example, something like ni hao ma, right, in Chinese Mandarin, means something like hi, how are you going type of thing in, in Australian, right? So what we want to be able to do is take that and combine it into a story. So, for example, ni, we can say ni, right, our ni, um, how, as in like how, the word how, or probably a bit more dramatic, as in our, like you've been hit, uh, and ma, as in mother. Now all we have to do is make a story with that. So imagine hitting a knee uh, probably in the corner of the table because that, that's, that's the worst pain I can think of uh, apart from, you know, the, my team suffering uh, in the football. Right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you hit your knee on the table, you went ow, and your ma comes in saying, you know, how are you? Uh, now, n people don't normally say, how are you? If you hit yourself, they go, what happened, right? But your brain this time, as soon as it senses something that's different, it questions it. And because your brain questions it, it creates engagement and you remember it. So next time someone says, how are you in Chinese Mandarin? You go, oh, I remember hitting my knee. Oh, knee, how ma? My ma came in. So it's just stuff like that that makes you, you know, remember. And it, yes, while that took probably a couple of minutes to do, um, you know, that's a couple of minutes by 1500. Plus you have to go through what's called space repetition and review. But ultimately in say three to six months, nine months, you can pretty much memorize all the phrases you want, like 1500 and speak the very basics of that language. 100%. And I like the way that you, you broke it down into the chunks, memory chunks of learning those contextual phrases, because there's utility in that. That's the other side of it. there's utility in being able to go to another country or speak with another person. And rather than remembering all the grammatical rules for how you conjugate uh, a tense in the past, present, and future, you can just say, hey, how are you going? How's this? And suddenly you can actually use I that. also look at the motivation um, level as well. If you could speak 80% yeah. of any language, surely that's going to motivate you for the next level, right? That's how yeah. I learned memory. Yep. Um, I, I wasn't able to memorize a phone book or win competitions first. 
Um, I, I just you know memorized 20 words. I go, man, this is awesome. I want to try 40 now. I want to do this now. I want to memorize cards. So, you know, it, it just grows up from there and your interest peaks. So it's the same thing, you know, when, when I started playing guitar, I'm like, oh, notes on a guitar, oh, chords, oh, you know, this, I can play these songs, oh, let's get into a band and let's record all that. So, you know, that's what happens. It, it's all step by step. You know, you don't climb that mountain straight away, you know, you can do it step by step. Yeah. So a lot of people, and look, you'll know this from a brain perspective, is our brain sees the end picture, right? If I say speak a language, you see me speaking a language or you being able to speak a language where in reality it's learn these few phrases, you know, um, learn this character, do this. So it's very, very basic and people can't see that initially. Same thing if I said running a marathon, you're going to see yourself running a marathon. Well, people don't see, you know, I'm going to do small bits here. I'm going to get fit here. I'm going to do that. So it's, yeah, there's a lot of work going on. It's like the tip of the iceberg that is the end result but you have to put in all the hard work underneath. Yeah, that iceberg illusion, it's, it's so true, right? Everyone wants that that outcome. It's like today's games, everyone wants to be Steph Curry and shoot the three-pointer, but no one wants to put in the work necessarily and obviously the discipline that comes with it. And the thing that we've noticed is like one thing that does require a lot of discipline is that idea of spaced repetition. Um, just for those that don't know, what is spaced repetition and how do you leverage that when you're learning something or a language from, in this from case? From what I know, because um, my memory knowledge is purely from a practical sense. I, I don't have, you know, like you guys, the, the theory and, um, you know, neuroscience background on it. Uh, from what I know, it's essentially once you've memorized something or learned something, um, going back to it, say, a couple of hours later just to review what you've done and then going back, say, 24 hours later and then a week later, two weeks later, four weeks later um, until it's really embedded in there. So for me, what I do is I usually look at something two hours later, um, 24 hours later, three days later, because, you know, my memory is terrible that way. <laughs> I don't wait for a week. Um, and, yeah, I sort of get the ball rolling that way. So, um, yeah, in order to for language, I mean, you can memorize 10 phrases a day, but probably the next day you'll forget most of them. <laughs> so have to, there'll have to be a point where you go back and review the stories and make sure that's sticking in there. So, yeah, it is a bit of a balance. And that's something that I've learned when I was memorizing the phone book. I actually didn't use any spaced repetition. So how I memorized it, <laughs> I must have been so lucky because that would have helped enormously on simplifying everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh well, absolutely, but also you're probably very motivated, and we know there's a direct uh, link between motivation, the, the secretion of dopamine in the brain, and your ability to memorize something because it helps. Uh, it actually helps focus your attention and form those memories. And just a quick little bit of neuroscience color, color commentary on the space repetition. What's actually happening is that those increasing space intervals, it becomes more or the same amount of effort to then recall and retrieve that information. And so to activate that neural pathway is effortful. And that's why you space it out over time. And because it's effortful, the brain actually then considers that a high priority pathway because you're trying to reactivate it. And so you're strengthening the connection between those two points. And that's why you have to space it out is because if you do it, you know, three, four, five minutes later after learning something, it's easy. It's still fresh and top of mind. But if you do that at those increasing space intervals, it's actually harder to recall that information. So you're sending a signal to the brain, hey, we want to know this. This is important. I love that for the use of education in particular. Because, you know, students learn particular mm. topics and so forth. They write their notes, but, you know, how often do they go back and look at their notes? You know, so that opportunity oh, totally. for space repetition doesn't necessarily happen. They can't strengthen anything. They only come to it last minute when they have to cram. So, you know, tools like, you know, speed reading and mind mapping, I found, is been extremely powerful because what uh, students can do is they can, you know, put their notes on the mind map, but because it's sort of on one page and you can do that on computer these days for free, right, the electronic mind mapping, you can always go back and feed the branches as well uh, and it's easy to do. Whereas if you look on page-by-page page notes, something on page one might link to something on page four, something on page three might pick link to something on page 12. So the connections aren't seen clearly, whereas on a mind map it is. And what that does, it, it motivates you to get directly to the source of the notes and because of that you, you get motivated like, like you were saying you get motivated and, and you start looking at the content even if it's just coloring a branch or whatever it is you're still interacting with the content and um, I think because of that um, it, it sort of touches upon almost space it's, it's more of a review but space repetition is more likely to happen because you're interacting with your content further 
Yeah, it's also, it's such a counterintuitive way to think about it that like one of the most important tenets of memory is to forget, mm-hmm. which sounds so weird. <laughs> but when you, when, you, when you actually say what you're talking about with space repetition and the stories that you create, it's obviously super important. And the, the sort of demographic we don't want to ignore are our students because you've sort of brought up really good points when it comes to school because after all, exams are a reality and that's when the PTSD comes in for Sam, myself and probably yourself as well. <laughs> um, but we're just wondering, you know, because when I've worked in education, normally students rely on their intuition in terms of the technique. It's normally rote learning. They're normally writing it over and over and over again or they're reading it over and over and over again. What would be your advice to students who have really sort of content heavy subjects that really struggle with memorization? It could be, you know, speed reading could be along with space repetition, but yeah, what would you recommend when they've got really heavy yeah, things Yeah, look, I've worked with a ton of students, um, as you know, and, um, you know, very heavy information dense materials. In fact, I had one guy last year come to me, he was studying for the world's most hardest exam, the most difficult, and it was a sommelier exam, the wine tasting exam. Oh, I know this exam. Yeah, I'm not sure if you've seen that. And this guy's been trying to pass for years right? And, you know, exceptional guys, amazing knowledge, but he just could not pass this exam. And, you know, he came to me two months before the exam and said, look, I've got two months. Can you help me? I was like, what? You know, so what we did was we took all this information uh, and analyzed it because what you have to do, you have to look at what you're playing with, right? You can't just sit there blindly and say, okay, I'm just going to read everything. I'm just going to memorize everything because there's no direction there and you don't know how far you have to go. It's like using sort of Google Maps, right? Um, you type in the directions and it's got an end and it's got here's start, here's the traffic. But when you're studying, you don't have that. It's just like all one way, one way traffic and you don't know how far you have to go or when you need to stop. So by planning and seeing, putting everything out on deck, you can see, okay, here's how much information I've got. Here's what I'm dealing with. Um, this is like how many weeks worth. And you do some basic calculation, pretty much the what I did with yellow pages. Um, and then what I do is look at, okay, if it's mostly information, um, we're going to mind map it. Because what mind mapping does, it just organizes information. You, you want information organized. And if information is organized, it's easier to remember. It's like that um, sort of pattern recognition, right? If I drew a whole bunch of dots on the whiteboard, right, of various colors and asked you, you know, how many dots there were, right, you, you'd only be guessing, right? Because it's very difficult to, you know, know how many dots there are but if i drew you know five dots by 10 dots down and filled them all in order you'd say 50 straight away because they're all ordered right so the same thing can be done with information if you order it using mind mapping then what you can do is you can go into each branch and say okay here are the topics here's the structure behind it uh, what can I visualize? Again, that, that's probably the majority of the learning is through visualization and using some sort of a very small memory cue. Not a lot because the goal isn't to memorize everything, right? Memory actually comes very last, <laughs> right? Because you want to use your brain at the last possible, you know, option. Uh, and mapping out everything is essentially that it's a no, like it doesn't take any effort because the information's there already. So you're just mapping it out. When you're visualizing, it's more of an effort because you're trying to understand what's going on. And again, there's certain methods to help you visualize a lot better. And the final step is once you've visualized everything is, okay, what do I really need to remember? And then use certain techniques like you know, memory palace or linking or whatever it is to remember that. So that's what we did together and a lot of my other students as well. And, you know, flew over to Austria to sit the exam and, you know, he messaged me a week later saying he was the only one that passed. You know, so I was like, woohoo, you know, all the effort you made actually, you know, work for you. So it's great. And look, he's not the only one. There's so many other people that use these skills of organizing the information and making sure they've got the right techniques and strategies. Once that's there, um, when the exam comes, they're already ready. They don't have to claim anything last minute. Um, And that's how we are in memory competitions. We don't actually train uh, maybe a week out from the competition because we're already ready. So all we have to do is rest up now, make sure our brain is functioning to take on the exam component. Because as you know, from a neuroscience perspective, you're dealing with stress, you're dealing with anxiety. There's so many other things going on and you don't want the brain to go into different, you know, modes and systems while you're trying to get information out. So, yeah, so that that's the kind of thing that I, um, yeah, advise students really, that, that kind of system. Yeah, so breaking down the information, mapping it out, tying it to visual cues, 
And have you, I don't know if you use this, but do you use much chunking with your students? Yeah, yeah. Look, um, chunk, what I really see chunking as, you're, you're just getting the visual out of what's presented in the group of words or group themes or whatever it is. So um, speed reading is a great example of chunking because what you're doing, instead of reading word by word, you're grouping words together in an image. So, for example, if I said, you know, the cat jumped over the moon, <laughs> right, we see that as one image. But in a sentence, it's a whole bunch of words together. And by the time we get to the end, maybe five seconds has passed. Now, how do you see that all in one go? Right? That's, that's what speed reading is. So if you could see everything in one go using some technique, you've chunked into that context, into that image. So you only really have to see that image. So speed reading really is reading by images, right? reading in chunks. So chunking is it, it's an extremely powerful sort of way of breaking down the information because you're not really dealing with thousands of bits of information. You're just dealing with chunks of topics and themes and whatever it is. Yeah. And which makes it a lot less stressful, right? If you, if you're only having to remember little chunks at a time rather than a textbook. Um, As, as we kind of get near the end, I just had one last question and, you know, being that we are all about those practical brain tools and, and the practical things you could do. If you could leave the audience with one super practical takeaway for how they improve their memory in life, what would it be? Yeah, look, um, there's a really powerful thing that I've learned when I was um, trying trying to win the memory competitions because for six years I tried um, and I tried everything, you know, um, and all I did was make those little mistakes. I was memorizing twice as much as everyone else, right, in competition, but because I was making mistakes, I was getting zero. So I ended up coming second and even last one year because I was going for all these records. But anyway, so <clears throat> what I did was I ch- had to change tack because for six years I was doing the same thing right? Expecting a different result. <laughs> Definition of insanity. So what I figured was, well, instead of focusing on techniques, which was what I was doing, because the techniques work, I'm going to focus on, you know, what's the core thing needed to make things memorable, right? And I found uh, an amazing system by Tony Buzan and Van der North, right? It's, it's just a memory principle. So you, you can create, you know, other principles from this, right? But the principle is called smash and scope. Uh, it's an acronym, right? So what that means is when you're trying to make something memorable, whether that's what you're trying to learn, whether it's trying to communicate a message, whatever it is, right? This works you know, probably the best out of everything that I've used. Um, what it is is the S for smash, and it stands for, um, in his book, says synesthesia, but really senses, using a senses to memorize. So instead of just picturing rain, because it's a static image, well, feel yourself underneath the rain, right? Touch the rain, smell the rain, you know, what is it like? So really getting immersed. Uh, M is for movement. So imagine yourself, you know, moving around, uh, engaged, um, association with the connection there. S, uh, they say use sex. So if you've got a sexual mind, you can use that sort of stuff. Or what I say to people, look, you can use yourself because, excuse me, <laughs> just burp there. Um, if you use yourself in the associations and stories, what happens is you can now attach emotions on there, right? And if you, as soon as you put emotion on there, then you start to remember a lot more because you can feel it. The, the brain doesn't know what's real and what's not. So if you've gotten pain, right, uh, you're going to feel that pain. That's why a lot of people in horror movies, they, they freak out. You know, I can't get my wife to watch horror movies. I'm like, it's not real, you know, but they feel that emotion. So, you know, that smash and scope, um, I won't go through the whole thing, but really what it's about is visualization, association, and using your imagination. You know, they're, they're the, the fundamentals. And if you can incorporate these skills, these pr- primary skills in not just making things memorable, but in your everyday life, uh, you're going to see some massive results. And soon after I applied this to the memory competitions, I won every single year that I entered. And that was four years in a row, you know, so, and not only that, but I doubled the score of the person that came second, you know, almost every time. So, and that was because I was doing this rather than focusing on techniques. So if anyone has to take away anything from this, Make sure that you're, you know, using your imagination, you're visualizing, and you're connecting by association because they're the skills that will take you to that next level. That's awesome. I, I love that, like summation, which is like we have, all, we all have an imagination, but we don't necessarily leverage it when it comes to, you know, memory or understanding. And if you do that, then you're going to increase the flexibility and the durability of your memory, which means you remember more. Come, you know, pressure, pressure situations, which I think is absolutely incredible. 
Well done. That that's just uncrip. Four, four in a row, Tanzel. Well, how, how on earth did you do yeah, that? Initially, I was <laughs> just going for one. You know, that, that was my goal. Um, and then the second one came along, and again, that just happened. And then I gave up after that. I gave up after the second, uh, and I thought, I'm just going to do it for fun now. And it turned out I won two more just, just by, you know, all that stress was gone. I thought, bloody hell, I won it for this. This is, you know, you, you don't even believe it. But, you know, you, you sort of do because you know the techniques work. Right, and now you're just having fun and enjoying yourself. But like, like you said, they don't teach you this stuff at school necessarily. Uh, the onus is really on us. So you know, um, yeah, thanks guys for obviously you know bringing this out to the world because yeah, this needs to get out there. You know, not just from people like myself, but you know, amazing people like yourselves and other people in some similar fields. Because if it's not taught in schools, gee, that's it's such a huge waste um, when you know. Um, people can use it at a very young age and get better at it. Absolutely. That's the, awesome. Those mental skills, uh, I've never understood why we didn't teach them at school, especially as you did. I found them a little bit later in life and just thought, why? Why did I not know this? Why was this not part of my curriculum? Yeah. I, I got into it after I finished university. That is- so all my yeah. <laughs> so I back and I had studied two master's degrees because I wanted to use these techniques. You know, and it was probably the most enjoyable studies that I've ever done because I actually used the process to learn and not just to pass. So it, it was fantastic. That's awesome. And I think that's a, an amazing way to wrap up the conversation just on that whole idea of that principle with the smash and scope. So sounds like what we, Sam and I want to say is a massive thank you for your time today. I speak for Sam, but I'm pretty sure we've learned so much and we know that the Brain Tools community has learned a lot, especially about applied memory techniques. So like a lot of the things here you've spoken about are so practical and easy to use, which I think is awesome. Um, and I think, you know, what we'd love is, you know, I'm sure a lot of the Brain Tools community would love to connect with you after. So where can people go to find out more about you? Yeah, um, that's, that's my website. Um, I tend to put a lot of lessons on there as well. So they can click on my blog and I write a, a lot about this stuff. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn a, a lot. So, you know, anyone want to connect on there, LinkedIn and uh, Instagram sometimes um, yeah, I, I haven't gone on Facebook really because yeah, I'm just sort of over it, but you know, on social media, on my websites and um, YouTube as well. So I've got a channel there that's not very consistent, but, you know, the, the name of the game for me is just just get the information out, you know, and people will do what they want. And, um, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to share, you know, all this knowledge because it's, it's not mine. It's, it's people's information and um, mm-hmm. they can use it to really, you know, get themselves, you know, what what they want in life you know better career or you know it's not about the studying it's about what the studying will bring you you know so it's really a change of mindset i think once people get into this so hopefully um yeah can benefit everyone yeah thank you so much for that so tantalally.com find tantal on linkedin uh on instagram and maybe on youtube he's probably more consistent than we are uh but uh just wanted to say yeah thank you again from from both of us and from Brain Tools for coming on for sharing so many gems. Like Kieran, I've got about a million things I want to go in, implement now. So, so really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having me on and go Tigers. <laughs> oh, rough. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, thanks so much, Tarzan. See you later. See ya.